The Athletic. Just to let you know before we get started, the following contains explicit language from the off, and some content listeners may find upsetting. Can, can, can you hear me okay? Yes, yes, yeah. of course. You can ask ask question. I try to answer. Sure. So, so I suppose to, just to begin, can you explain the past couple of days how how you are, and also if your family is okay? First of all, yes. Uh, uh, in in the morning of twenty uh, fourth of of the February, we woke woke up after the uh, uh, sounds of bombs. and uh, went to basement. This is the captain of Ukrainian football club Shakhtar Donetsk. His name is Taras Stepanenko, and he's one of the most famous footballers in his country. He was born before the collapse of the Soviet Union, he played over 70 times for Ukraine, and he's been with his club since 2010. I called him as war broke out to learn what was happening firsthand. Multiple attacks on cities right across uh, the country. Uh, the foreign minister, uh, Dmitry Kuleba, uh, has, has just tweeted that uh, the country is under full-scale invasion uh, by Russia. I have a wife and three sons. One uh, seven years, one eight and one four. Okay. What do you tell them? scared so much and we, we started to read news but my my son they i think they uh, they don't uh, understand clearly what happened now i think they're they, they scared too stepanenko's life changed like so many other ukrainians did when russia invaded the country in early 2022 but six months on unlike most men his age he's fortunate enough to do his normal job again, to play football and to play in the Champions League, where the best teams from across the continent face off to be crowned kings of Europe. For Ukraine, football is more than a sport now. It's a unifier. It's a statement to the world that they are strong. And Shakhtar Donetsk is the embodiment of that sentiment. We are showing to all the world that, uh, that uh, we are still alive. Nothing cannot kill us. We are in the war for 2014. It will be difficult to play, but we must play. Unfortunately, we are thinking just about Ukraine now. And uh, if this fucking bastard from Russia think that we will stop to play because of that, we will not stop to play. We'll play and we will win. For The Athletic, I'm Adam Crafton. Over the course of this series, I'll be tracking Shakhtar's unique football journey as they navigate their way through football's toughest contest, all whilst there's a brutal war raging on their doorstep, forcing them out of their own country. You didn't sleep, you, you cannot sleep. Three days, three days without sleep. I'm proud that I'm part of this team, of this club, and today we can be proud because this victory is for Ukrainian people, for Ukrainian citizens. It's not only about football now, it's about... To show that, uh, to show that we are fighting, that we are still alive. <laughs> this is away from home. Episode one: We believe in miracles. 
Shakhtar Donetsk are, along with Dynamo Kiev, the best-known Ukrainian football club. The club's home, Donetsk, is in the east of the country, located between Luhansk and Mariupol. This is the typical mining city, like uh, others, like Dortmund in, in, in Germany, like Sheffield in, in, in UK. Yeah, those places where the miners were like the main force of the economy of the, of the, of the region. Shakhtar means miners. And you'll hear the team be called Shakhtar a lot, in the same way as you'd hear Manchester United called United, or the New England Patriots, simply referred to as the Patriots. Their home should be the Donbass Arena in Donetsk, but they've not played there since 2014, when Russian forces annexed Crimea and a war began in the Donbass region. Russian troops moving swiftly to take control of military bases in Crimea, where voters decided to rejoin Russia. This is part of the conflict that's been going on for the last eight years between Ukraine and Russia, but on a more limited scale. Their home, the Donbass Arena, was damaged by two explosions, and the club was forced to relocate. Since then, as the Russian aggression continued, Shakhtar have played, at various points, in the west of Ukraine in Lviv, the east in Kharkiv, and more recently, in the Ukrainian capital of Kyiv in the north. Even with all this, Shakhtar still managed to win five Ukrainian titles since being uprooted, largely thanks to the investment of the club's owner, Rina Akhmetov, widely billed as the richest man in Ukraine. Despite the war's continuation, football has been able to restart in the country, meaning that Shakhtar can play in both their domestic Premier League and the Champions League. Over the course of the next three months, the team is scheduled to play 17 matches in 87 days. They'll travel thousands of miles, and mostly without the team that got them there in the first place. That's because they lost over a dozen foreign players, many of whom were Brazilian, who chose to leave the war-torn country this summer. This all leaves Shakhtar with a very young, very inexperienced, and almost entirely Ukrainian side. So all in all, Shakhtar go into the toughest competition in club football, the Champions League, as huge underdogs. And as a result, not much is expected of this young, displaced side. But then again, not much was expected of Ukraine when the war broke out either. The Russians totally underestimated the Ukrainians. As the Ukrainian army does its best to hold off the Russian attackers, normal people are helping to resist the offensive in any way they can. I'm going to introduce you to a lot of people associated with the club during this series. You've already met the captain, Taras Stepanenko, but now I want to introduce you to Shakhtar's head coach, Igor Jovicevic. I'm alone also. As a coach, I'm alone in uh, Kiev or in Lviv with the team. My family's in Zagreb. I'm suffering with them also. He's a closely shaved man with stubble and intense eyes. Shades of Javier Mascherano meets Kendall Roy from that TV show Succession. He's from Croatia. And as a player, he spent six years at Real Madrid. But when Russia invaded, Igor was stuck, separated from his family who were back home in Croatia. At that time, he was actually manager of a different Ukrainian club called Dnipro, located in central Ukraine. He and several of his foreign players needed to get out of the country as quickly as possible. My priority how to get to to be back with my family. It was, how to say, three days and uh, many, many circumstances uh, different from destroy the bridge there to there you can go from the nine o'clock, nine o'clock and up. You can know because it's uh, 
it's not safe. So, so wh- where did you sleep? We don't really sleep. We didn't sleep. You you cannot sleep. Three days, three days without sleep. You want to go to cross Poland, but it's more than thousand kilometers, and one bridge was destroyed, so it's impossible. You must go to Moldavia. It's also a part of Russian there, which is not safe. Or you want to go to Hungary, it's not safe. Finally went out for Romanian side and we left car, I don't know, far away at 5 o'clock after 60 hours, 60 hours on the, the machine without gas oil. You don't have gas oil, panic. And we left cars, I don't know how many kilometers from there, with some bags and we crossed the border of the... Walking. Working, working. Finally, we, we crossed the border, we, go, we went to Romanian. We slept in Bucharest. A lot of this has been airstrikes within the city, uh, blaring sirens, uh, power cut for a short while here, uh, some panic going on in some areas of the city. As soon as Russia stepped foot in Ukraine, battle lines were drawn, both on and off the map. Notably, one of the first places to discard Russia from their event was the Eurovision Song Contest. During the competition in May, not only did Ukraine manage to send an act to Italy, the Kalush Orchestra, but they were also one of the most outstanding acts. And that's regardless of world events. Ukraine won, and they deserved it. And honestly, that flute riff, it will still be stuck in your head now. In the sporting world, we felt a wider cultural impact of Russia's war with Ukraine. For example, Russia were banned from the Women's European Championship in football. In Formula One, the driver Nikita Mazepin, along with all Russian-affiliated sponsors, were sent packing from the sport. And Wimbledon wouldn't allow any Russian or Belarusian athletes to compete at tennis's most prestigious tournament. Incredibly, the Champions League final was also due to be held in Russia. So UEFA moved swiftly to relocate that one from St. Petersburg to Paris. Not only that, but the tournament title sponsor was Russian too. That eventually was replaced as well. One thing that's impossible to escape is the human cost of war. By the end of August 2022 alone, the head of the Ukraine's armed forces reported that around 9,000 Ukrainian soldiers had been killed in the war so far. And that doesn't include the civilians, or the Russians. For one of Shakhtar's players, that story is too close to home. For me, it was very difficult for us. For the first three months, it was shock, big shock. But I think for everybody, same, same feeling. This is Ivan Petriak. He returned to Shakhtar in the summer, following a three-year spell in Hungary. He's 28. He's a father of two. Physically, He's quite short by footballer standards, but with blonde, spiky hair, and he has a big, warm smile. Ivan was in Hungary when war broke out, but his parents, well, they were in a small town just outside Kiev. He was worried, calling them every day. Five times per day. First month, it was like every time we, we, we spoke, because uh, this is war, and uh, I was... I was so, so shocked. But after, I want to say first, thank you very much to our army, our soldiers who protect our country. That's why still I can speak with my family. This is very important. And I hope 
I hope until the new year we will we will take our territory back. I spoke to um, one of the players, another Ukrainian player who was outside of the country, and they said to me they would go on to WhatsApp mm-hmm. and they would check for their family the last time it says the last time they are online, uh-huh. just to see are yes, they, are they yes. okay. Yes, this is normal situation. Me too. I always, I always check who was Viber, WhatsApp. Yes, yes. All. Same. I think now 40 million feel same. Our country, everybody feels same. Okay, maybe close to Hungary, close to the border, close to Poland, the situation much better. But from the other part of the country, very difficult situation there. And we know, we know this. Everybody knows this, and we we try to support them. Has there been any impact of people you know, anyone you know that has been injured or? Oh, this this is a very difficult question. My my wife's father he died. They killed him. I'm so sorry. Yes. He was close to Donetsk, close to Shakhtar house, and they killed him there. And you just received a phone call to tell you this is what happened? Yeah, I know, I know. I spoke with the, with the soldiers. Like, I know what's happened there. I know everything. And my family know everything. My wife also. I imagine, I know you're now playing football again, but do you almost feel like you're playing not only football, but also playing for, for your country and for him, for him and his memory and everything? Of course, of course. And I scored last goal. In Hungary, I scored in Conference League goal, and it was it was for him. It was for him. I I used the T-shirt with, uh, with his photo. Because he was he was too close with me, he was too close. He was my like second father, and for me this it was also very difficult. Still, still, still not good. But first two three months was very very difficult. What, what was his name? His name? Yeah. Same like me, Ivan. Ivan. Yes. Also, so Ivan Senior. Yes. Ivan. Yes. Can, can I ask? Were you able to? Were you able to have a f- to bury to have a funeral? No, no, no. We we didn't find the body, but I, I know what's happened. And right now, there where he, where he died, there is Russian territory, and uh, still we we cannot take the body, and we don't know where is the body. But I hope in the future we can make we can organize some funeral for for his memory for our family. After I finish speaking with Ivan, he speaks to a Ukrainian journalist from the publication Tribuna. In that interview, he opens up further. He explains how he became underfed and sleep-deprived while playing in Hungary during the second half of last season, where he had to watch the war play out from afar. He explains that his wife had some concerns about returning to Ukraine, but that Dario Serna, the director of football at Shakhtar, whose job it is to negotiate transfers, made him an offer, and he agreed to rejoin in less than 30 seconds. Petriak said, I've never believed in anything in my life as much as I believe in our army now. I want them to put the Russians in their place. I understand that it's very difficult. I understand that a lot of blood must be shed. But it's necessary, because in 10 years, they'll come again, and then our children will have to fight back. We must take them out now. In 
It's really hard to think about football after hearing stories like Petriak's. But to these players, football is still significant, as Captain Stepanenko tells me. In the war situation, uh, I understand that every person in our country, every citizen, should have to serve for, for the country. They protect us and we, we, we pray for them every day. But me, I'm like a, like a sportsman. I have to do myself. Yeah, I, and I, I am doing myself on the pitch. Inside Ukraine, outside Ukraine. And it's very important for, for me to uh, divert people from the war. Okay, it could be for 90 minutes, but we can, uh, we can help to people feel safe and enjoy the football, enjoy the sport. It's very important for the mentality of, of, of our people. So I am proud for my team, for, for our championship, for our country. And uh, I think it will help for our people, for our country to, to be more strong. Thursday the 25th of August and it's the start of Shakhtar's Champions League journey. They're here alongside some of the most famous clubs in football. Clubs like Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester City, Bayern Munich, Paris Saint-Germain and Juventus. All the big boys, all here awaiting their fate. We are delighted to kick off a brand new season of UEFA Champions League football, the best club competition on the planet. Here's producer Abby to explain how the Champions League works. The Champions League is club football's biggest and most prosperous tournament. It's where the top football clubs from across Europe, ranging from Iceland to Israel, play against each other. They qualify on account of their previous season's domestic success. The higher you finish in your league, the better. The tournament begins in earnest at the group stage. Here, there are 32 teams split into eight groups. Each team has six matches, facing the other three members of their group twice home and away. It's three points for a win and one for a draw, and the top two from each group goes through to the knockout stages. But there is chance of reprieve for the team that finishes third in each group, as they drop down into the Europa League, which is just like the Champions League, but the teams aren't as good. It's a bit like when you order a Coke and they say we only have Pepsi. You take it, but you really wish it was a Coke. If you've never watched a Champions League draw, you're not hugely missing out. It's a lot of pomp and ceremony for around half an hour before they get several former footballers to draw balls out of a fishbowl. Then you watch them struggle to reveal the team name and the whole thing, well, it takes four times as long as it really should. In short, it's kind of football's answer to bingo. Back in Ukraine, the team congregate to watch the draw in Kiev's Olympic Stadium. Captain Tara Stepanenko explains that even this has a degree of risk and difficulty. For the draw, the guy said that if you will hear air alarm, you should go to the basement. And in the basement, we uh, we, we also had like uh, the area with uh, this translation of the draw. So we, we we were prepared for everything. When the draw culminates, Shakhtar are placed in Group F, and they're pitted against the reigning European champions Real Madrid, the Scottish champions Celtic, and the third richest club in Germany. Red Bull Leipzig. Head coach Igor Jovicevic gives his assessment of the draw. I wanted Real Madrid, so it's my dream come true. Leipzig, uh, very good coach, very good players there. 
with good style of play, dynamic uh, pressing uh, with three players at the back, uh, and Celtic with uh, different style of, of, of football, uh, atmosphere, many people there, and uh, push the team. So it's uh, very, very motivated for us. A good experience, very good experience. Shakhtar's first match pits them against Red Bull Leipzig on Tuesday the 6th of September. I travel to the southeast of Poland, to the town of Zhezhov, to meet the players. They've already had quite the journey to get there because you can't fly out of Ukraine during the war. So instead, the team drove for a few hours from where they were staying in Lviv, in the west of Ukraine. En route, they were held at the Polish-Ukrainian border for a couple of hours. There's no express route, no special privileges on account of being a football team. Normally, a major side in a big European football competition would simply jump on a private jet out of their country. But in Ukraine, that's simply not possible. So it's a long, arduous journey. Zhezhov is a quiet airport, with quite a few American guys in military uniform. Perhaps they're involved in humanitarian projects because Zhezhov seems to be one of the gateway cities to the Polish-Ukrainian border. Shakhtar's plane was waiting here, a chartered flight, for not only the first-team players, but also the club's under-19 side, as they're playing equivalent fixtures in the UEFA Youth League. At the airport, I catch up with Lasina Traore, Shakhtar's 21-year-old forward from Burkina Faso. He could have left the club in the summer, like so many chose to. And we'll talk more about that in a later episode. But instead, he stayed. I ask him why. First to pay back Shaka, because they, they've done a lot for me. And when I came, everybody was like friendly with me and I was feeling home. So it's still my home and yeah, you never leave your home. Did, did, was people say, I don't know, imagine if it was my mum in the same situation, she might say go and be safer somewhere else or something like that but clearly you have a connection yeah like all my parents also they have the same mindset of like me they have the same decision like not to abandon chapter to stay with them and yeah for you obviously the last couple of days it's been a big journey to come here and then also the, the flight now to go uh, to Germany, does it feel a little bit like a, an adventure as well for, the, for this team? Yes, yes, because in my decision it was part of it and yeah, I had to be ready for that and yeah, it's a good adventure to fly every time, every time to go to Lviv, to go to Poland, to go to Madrid and Glasgow, yeah, it's a good adventure and we will see. And just finally, on you know, this is when you're on the plane, do you have a routine that you like to have, you know, something you like to do on the plane? Are you playing games? Are you watching something? Yeah, before they take off, I just pray. And <laughs> after I watch movie or documentary about football, informations, yeah, that kind of thing. So. What, are you, what are you watching today? Uh, today, normally, maybe Stranger Things. It's pretty rare these days for journalists to be granted access to travel with a major club in the Champions League. And it's even more rare for us to be allowed on the plane itself. Shakhtar have their own club-branded plane, and by a stroke of good planning or good luck, it was actually already out of the country when the full-scale invasion by Russia started in February. But I was pretty curious. What would it be like on a football club's aeroplane? Well, 
to be honest, it turns out to be a pretty typical commercial flight. There isn't a huge amount of legroom, there isn't any kind of luxury services, and there wasn't even any Wi-Fi on the plane. Well, not for me anyway. Around half an hour into the flight, we did get some food come around. And these days, well, footballers' diets are pretty well manicured, and the food provided was pretty typical of that. There was some chicken and there was some pasta. There was a nice Greek salad with feta cheese. But there was one little treat, as honey cake also arrived. On the plane itself, the manager and his staff sit at the very front. Behind them, you have the first team stars. And then a little bit further back, you have the under-19 team that's also travelling because they're playing in the UEFA Youth League. And then right at the back is people like me and the female journalists that are accompanying the team on the way to Leipzig. I specify female because the men are largely conscripted to fight the war. Having landed in Germany, I head to the pre-match press conference. Shakhtar's opponents, Red Bull Leipzig, well, they've been the hype of football for some years now. In the past, they've been managed by names familiar to football fans. People like the former Manchester United manager, Ralph Rangnick, and the Bayern Munich manager, Julian Nagelsmann. But at the time of this match, their coach is Domenico Tedesco, and he's under pressure, as the German journalist Tom Bachmann explains. Oh yes, it's a must-win, no doubt about it. Not only because of the situation in the league, where the start was very poorly, uh, but also they, they, in this group they have to go through to the round of uh, the last 16 and, and, and Donetsk is, is a must-win. But it's not just the foreign press who are able to cover the match. My name is Irina Kozyupa. I'm a sport journalist of Tribuna.com Ukraine. It's one of the biggest and famous Ukrainian sport uh, website or sport media. Actually, it's a big project, <laughs> like Athletic, <laughs> but in Ukraine. Irina explains how Shakhtar's appearance in the Champions League gives not only herself, but fans back home, an opportunity to experience some semblance of normality again. To start with the pandemic of coronavirus, learn us to work in like extreme conditions, without like office, without all the facilities. Now everybody in Ukraine, every sport journalist, every people is, I know, an expert in a heavy weapon. We can tell you everything about HIMARS, about uh, uh, the rocket systems and Time has passed and uh, we started to come back to uh, football uh, and our like, teams, national team, give us uh, such opportunity because the war continues but lives go on and it's very important to try to come back as can to normal life. Our football championship started, the children go to school from 1st September and our clubs like playing in Euro- European Cups, like Shakarin Champions League, it's a moment that we can maybe proud even that a war-torn country still continue to uh, do such normal things. And for us, it's, uh, it's our job, actually. <laughs> we continue to write also war stories of our sportsmen who are on the war, because it's war touched everybody. I think there is nobody person in, in Ukraine who don't have uh, relatives, friends, or just familiar people who not suffer from the war. Uh, so it concerns every, every sportsman in Ukraine, and Shakhtar have a very special story. Back in Ukraine, will everyone be watching this? How big of an occasion is it for people? 
When the Ukrainian national team played uh, their games for uh, fighting for a World Cup. Yeah, they played against Scotland and Wales, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't go to the World Cup, but all the best to Welsh. <laughs> I'm sorry, Scotland. Uh, it was, you know, something... It maybe was first, after the Eurovision contest, it was the first not-war event that was uh, people involved so very much. I spoke with the soldiers, uh, with uh, my colleagues who were on the front line, who, uh, and they told me that uh, thanks to Starlink, uh, we have an opportunity even uh, watch this like football translation on the small screens of their mobile phones. Irina mentioned Starlink there. If, like me, you'd not heard of Starlink before, Well, you might have seen up in the sky at night, dozens of tiny lights, a bit like permanent shooting stars, following one another. That's Starlink, a project from the world's richest man, Elon Musk, to have satellites orbiting the globe, giving people free internet. In this moment, Musk is seen as a huge help, and possibly even pro-Ukraine. Yet as is often the case with the multi-billionaire, he will not remain this clean-cut and straightforward, on the subject of the war. I don't know if, like, for whole Ukraine, it's very big, massive event, Champions League, but for sure for sport people and fans of Shakhtar, it's some, uh, some big, uh, big opportunity to have at least for two hours to follow something uh, else. Match day one arrives in Group F of the Champions League. It's Tuesday the 6th of September and Shakhtar have made their way via Poland to the Red Bull Arena. Awaiting them is Red Bull Leipzig. There's not much expectation on Shakhtar. In fact, it's a minor miracle they've made it to the match in the first place. And then I see the starting lineup. Shakhtar have a team made up of mostly inexperienced Ukrainians. In fact, Six of the 11 are aged 23 or below. This is significant as the team in previous seasons is best known for being packed out with talented Brazilian players, yet most of their foreign players left in the summer. A lot of hope is pinned on the young blonde forward, Mikhailo Mudrik. In the summer, he attracted bids worth almost £30 million from Premier League clubs such as Brentford and Everton, while Arsenal are also tracking the player. On the morning of the game, head coach Jovicevic tells me that the average age of teams in this competition is usually around 27 or 28. And that gives you just one idea of the challenge awaiting Shakhtar's side. Jovicevic also told me that Leipzig should be considered the favourites for this game. And that's because the value of their players, in his opinion, was maybe seven or eight times that of Shakhtar. Perhaps we can look for a more objective valuation from the website TransferMarkt which says that only one Shakhtar player in the squad for this season was bought for more than £2 million. And that was Lasina Traore, bought for £9 million from Ajax in 2021, but who missed the majority of last season when he suffered a serious knee injury. He starts on the bench. And the calculations of Jovicevic, well, they're not too far off, because the website TransferMarkt estimates the total value of Shakhtar's squad to be £72 million which is six times less than Leipzig at £437 million. The match begins. Leipzig have been under pressure before this match, 
but they actually start the better side. It's probably because they are a better side. And it's a typical German atmosphere, with fans bouncing up and down behind one goal. And Leipzig do look more dangerous. They're creating the better chances. But then, on 16 minutes, a gift for Shakhtar, as the Leipzig goalkeeper makes a mistake and Marianne Schwed converts the opening goal. Shakhtar get to half-time 1-0 up and an impossible win starts to feel almost possible. Shortly after half-time, reality strikes. Leipzig equalise. But wait, within a minute, without Leipzig even touching the ball, Shakhtar worked it from back to front and restored their lead. It's Schwed again. Schwed had only signed for Shakhtar five days earlier, but he's had a dream Champions League debut, scoring two goals. Shakhtar bought Schwed for only £900,000. That's pocket change by football standards. With half an hour to go, Shakhtar are 2-1 ahead. For a while, it looks like it might just be a defensive effort to try and hang on. But then they get a third, with Mudrik, brilliant on the night, scoring. And then, in the 85th minute, a fourth comes, and it's Lassina Traore, the Burkina Faso international that we'd spoken to at the airport earlier on. He comes off the bench and finishes Leipzig off once and for all. Remarkably, after their opening Champions League group game, Shakhtar have already collected more points, three, and they've scored more goals, four, than they earned in the totality of last season's group stages when they finished with two points and two goals well before the war. Shakhtar scored with every shot on target that they recorded against Leipzig, meaning they end the night topping Group F, above even Real Madrid, who won 3-0 against Celtic. By any measure, even in normal times, this is a phenomenal result. Not that you can necessarily tell from Captain Stepanenko's reaction. Uh, you know, for me, like, I, I can't uh, say about the result because the result will be if we pass the group. So it, it is us. Today we we played very good match, we good good feelings, we in difficult situation. Today was very good atmosphere on the stadium, on the pitch. So uh, sometimes we uh, we had uh, a difficult situation because uh, Leipzig, of course, it's a strong uh, strong team with the qualified players. Uh, and uh, but we we have like passion. We try to do our best, and we deserve this result today. In the car park underground at the Red Bull Arena, I grabbed the director of football, Dario Serna, and he's far more upbeat. I'm proud. I'm proud that I'm part of this team, of this club, and today we can be proud because this victory is, is for Ukrainian people, for Ukrainian citizen for the Ukrainian army. They're fighting for our freedom and today we show them that we are fighting for Ukraine on the pitch. At what point in the game did you start to believe you will win the game? If you're really honest. When referee whistled the, 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 <laughs> the, the, the end, I was pretty sure that we won the game. And uh, no, emotion, unbelievable. Thank you everyone. This is just start for our new Shakhtar. Back at the team hotel in Leipzig, I meet a Shakhtar fan after the game. My name is Oleg. I'm basically from uh, Donetsk. It's 1am, and if you thought that there might not be a lot of fans out here following this team, then think again. Because Oleg, well, he's a super fan. 
I'm from Donetsk. I've been cheering for football for Shakhtar since like I was like I don't know like 12 years old or 10 years old. So I'm really a big fan of Shakhtar. How old are you now? I'm 23. Where are you living at the moment? At the moment, we're living in Warsaw. You're living in Warsaw. Yeah, we're living in Warsaw right now. So we just came in for a trip, like 700 kilometers. We're driving here, and uh, that's it. We came here for a football match, and we won. I'm really happy with that. In the stadium, I met uh, a family who said they are Dynamo Kiev fans, usually. Uh-huh. And they said to me, normally, no chance we support Shakhtar yeah. in any game. Same story with me. But, but, tonight, Dynamo but, but tonight, it felt like it was 10 Ukra- there were 10 Ukrainian yes. players yes, in the starting of course. lineup. It was like Ukrainian national team. It, 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 yeah. it, it, it's usually not that much Ukrainians playing on the pitch for Shakhtar Donetsk, but uh, tomorrow, today, today we showed everybody that Ukrainians are, can really play because uh, usually we had like seven, eight Brazilians in a, in a roster and like two, three Ukrainians. Usually we had a Ukrainian goalkeeper and a couple of Ukrainians, like Stepanenko is our captain. But uh, usually we had a lot of Brazilians there and uh, today we showed up that Ukrainians are the really good players to play. Now you've won the first game. Mm-hmm. I think at the start of the group everyone thought Shakhtar will probably be bottom yeah. of the group. We, we also saw it like that. <laughs> now what are you thinking? Uh, I mean, like to be honest, this win means too much. But if you get six more from Celtic games and maybe one more from... Uh, next game in Warsaw with Leipzig really can make it through at least to the Europe League yeah. at least this, this is what I expect I expect us to be in the Europe League after this win very good and you're going to the games in Warsaw of course every game every game we're going to lose it we might be second in Germany Shakhtar's success leads to Domenico's demise as Leipzig sacked Tedesco the following morning das war eine Klatsche zu viel RB Leipzig trennt sich am Tag nach der 1 zu 4 Heimpleite gegen Shakhtar Donetsk von Trainer Domenico Tedesco. Shakhtar have already achieved more than many expected. They've given themselves hope and a chance at their Champions League journey will be more than just six tricky fixtures. Instead, it's another light, another hope for the Ukrainian people. As Irina explains. We believe in miracles. We believe that uh, everything is possible. Like, uh, we are Ukrainians. <laughs> like, we always said the story that, like, remember that uh, on the start of the war, it was very like uh, disappointing to hear that people say like oh you will like uh, three or five days and then russian will occupy you and nobody believed in us and we're still fighting so it's everything is possible it's not matter how strong or how weak you are it if you believe in yourself you will you will win or at least you will uh, try to do everything to, to win because uh, it's not only about football now, it's about to show that uh, to show that we are fighting, that we are still alive <laughs> and we're not to be on the, on the occupation. Next time on Away From Home, I travelled to Warsaw ahead of Shakhtar's first home game of the campaign. 
I wish that Shakhtar will play in Donetsk in the DSTR, when Ukraine will win this war. My colleague Joey Durso heads to Croatia to find out more about the displaced children from the club's academy. Putin bad. What do you think? It's true. And we'll be going into the inner sanctum of the dressing room to see how Shakhtar prepare to play Celtic. Away From Home is an Athletic Media Company production. It was presented by Adam Crafton. It was written and produced by Adam Crafton and Abby Patterson, with additional production by Mike Stavry. Sound mixing is by Ollie Bellwood. The executive editor is Adrian Moorhead. And the managing editors are Ben Green and Alex Kajelski.